0: So, hi, everyone, and welcome to uh, Architecture in the Den uh, with me, Lisa Raines. And today I'm delighted to welcome Stephen Hodder, uh, Manchester architect extraordinaire. So, hi, <laughs> Stephen. <laughs> That's
1: very flattering,
0: Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> I must say, I'm, I, for the first time, I've been really nervous about this in, interview.
1: Why? I don't
0: I think I've known you since just about qualifying as an with me just about qualifying as an architect so when I was at in Simpsons you were in the office next door yeah that's
1: right we shared, <laughs> we shared the top floor at Commercial Street didn't we
0: yeah so as a as a trainee architect he was kind of like big eyes just looking around at who was there it was like oh, there's Stephen Hodder. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh dear <laughs>
0: 20, 20, a, a few years later and our paths have crossed at various times as they do in Manchester because Manchester's very small
1: yeah um, I, think, I think we first met at a MSA dinner wasn't it I think MSA awards um, yes. I think that was probably in my first year as uh, RIBA president when uh, I was having a little bit of a tough time, <laughs> you, you'll recall.
0: Yes, yes. And yeah. I was on, I joined the council 2015 uh, to 18. When were you president? Uh,
1: 2013
0: to 15. Yeah, so you were president. So and, you. and it was really nice to come down to the council and see a, a fellow manchester of <laughs> <Texas>. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, well, you know my view. I think uh, regional representation on council has always been really important to me. Um, but yeah, no, I concluded, well, I, I had a, a year, you have a year following your presidential term as um, immediate past president, where you're still on the board, or you, you were then. Um, it's changed now, I gather. But um, yeah, so 2016 was really the end of my uh, my sentence um, on the RIBA
0: changed what's it changed to
1: um well the um it was always discussed when i was president about who who was the ultimate authority within the riba Uh, and if you remember we had council which then was the ultimate authority and then we had a board but now it's actually reverted it's the board so council i gather is is advisory and and uh, uh, but the board is now the main decision making uh, authority within the RIBA so I understand
0: Mm, mm. and and
1: equally then as president you were you know I was also chair of the board whereas that's not the case anymore.
0: Right so is there still a kind of ex-president role at the RIBA?
1: I think for the uh,
0: immediate immediate past, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I'm not. I'm not involved with the RIBA anymore. Um, No, I had seven years of being engaged with the RIBA. uh, (laughs) (laughs) As I as I said to someone not so long ago, I still bear the scars.
0: So um, I usually start um, the podcast by asking our guests to introduce themselves. So about five okay. minutes in, please can you introduce yourself? Of
1: course. Uh, thanks, Lisa. So I'm uh, Stephen Hodder, um, founding director of uh, Hodder and Partners Architects. Uh, and as we discussed, past president of the RIBA. Um, until recently, I was also chair of the Construction Industry Council. Uh, I've concluded that term now as well, uh, and I'm currently professor of architecture at uh, the Manchester School of Architecture. I think that captures it. I think.
0: <laughs> Very good, and I'm going to like what the what's the word fangirl a bit. Um, so, you've you've built uh, a lot of skyscrapers in Manchester, as I've seen recently. So, how how many skyscrapers have you done in Manchester? Oh.
1: Not that many, actually. <laughs> um, I think uh, I think we've realized four uh, um, and there are others in the pipeline. Um, so uh, yeah, more more to come, I guess. but i, I don't I don't like for some of the from vertigo, um, five stories, five stories is my sort of vertigo threshold. yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, isn't it? you you um, throughout my architectural life, you you become pigeonholed, don't you? So, you finish, We finished our first tall building opposite uh, Oxford, Oxford Road Station, and suddenly you become an expert or knowledgeable in tall buildings. Um, but, um, yeah, um, no, I, I, uh, when it comes to site inspections, I'm afraid I leave that to others in the practice.
0: <laughs> you don't go to the topping out ceremonies, no. Right? <laughs> So what, What's the tallest one that you've done so far?
1: Uh, I think it was that first one, um, um, for Student Castle, and uh, as I said, opposite, um, um, Oxford Road Station. Um, we completed another tall building in Stratford High Street, um, uh, in uh, East London. Mm. Uh, that was thirty-one stories, but Student Castle was, I think, thirty-nine stories. Yeah, um, so our, our tallest will be the one the project that we're currently doing for uh, Gary Neville, um, which opposite the town hall, that will be 43 stories.
0: Cool. That's the is that the old Booth Street? Uh
1: yeah, it's the old uh, old police station, yeah. Uh, St. Michael's St. Michael's as it's called.
0: Yeah, the controversial one. <laughs>
1: Yeah, less controversial since we've been involved. Of,
0: of course, of course. <laughs> oh dear, I don't. It's one of those things. Um, as an architect, people always say to me, you know, what what's the tallest thing you've ever done? So I've just just thought I'd throw that one at you.
1: Yeah, no, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, you know, with limited land supply, um, I mean, Manchester's Manchester is a as a city council, I'm not frightened of tall buildings. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it's quite interesting because you know we're working nationally now. Um, we have a 41 storey tower, uh, which is going to planning next month in Sheffield. Um, and then we have a similar uh, student accommodation in Bristol. Uh, I think that's 28 storeys. Um, But it's interesting, isn't it, how, um, as I said, with limited land supply, that a lot of local authorities are now supporting tall buildings. Um, Yeah.
0: I just want to take you back a bit and kind of just look Back on um, your career, well, actually, so a lot. I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast are kind of students, um, people getting into architecture. So I kind of want to look back and um, just what? Why did you study architecture in the first place?
1: Yeah, I I often sort of look back and think about that. Um, I I, when I was when I was eleven my my parents bought a new house mm. uh, uh, in nottingham and um, i i met the architect and uh, um, and it wasn't necessarily inspiration to me but i mean that certainly aroused the curiosity um, but then rather typically i guess um, at school um, I, I was you know my my education was very balanced between the sciences and and art uh, mm. Nobody from my school had ever um, um had uh, become an architect. Um and when I look back, I don't think the advice was terribly um um rehearsed, you know, it was was terrible, it was, it would I don't think the career's advice was not terribly good. Um, but um I think that was largely cemented in uh in sixth form, when through my father, um I I had a work experience in a small practice in Nottingham. Um, and, um, and so that really cemented really what I wanted to do, but, but I've wanted to be an architect since I was 11 years old, you know, <laughs> but, but you go into school of architecture, don't you? At that, I mean, I was a very young 18 year old and I, I went into a school of architecture really not knowing what architecture was
0: all about. Yeah. And I, I think it's like, um, learning to drive. You kind of only really know how to drive, learn how to drive once you've got your license. <laughs> once.
1: Well, I remember when I came to Manchester and had my, uh, my interviews in, uh, you know, what was the, the, old the, the school of architecture at the university. And of course my work experience, um, you know, I had been, uh, obviously under the guidance of one of the architects there. I had been detailing a garage with, you know, making sure the DPC was 150 millimeters above ground level, you know, and I remember having the interview, um, with, uh, two people, Mike Maidens and Debbie McKay, um, Talking about the DPC, you know see, that that was what architecture was about. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I Parents
0: think... do. What did your mum and dad do for a living? Well,
1: well my father uh, was um, in local government. My father became um, chief executive of what was known Borough Council, which is yeah. essentially which is essentially the west side of um, west side of uh, Nottingham. So he he was always in the public sector, um, but always took great interest in uh, you know in in me in practice. Uh, he always used to call me on a Sunday evening, and we would have a download for about an hour about you know the trials and tribulations of practice. Because you know I I had only been qualified a year when I when I set up in practice on my own, um, so. Um, sort of a huge learning curve. And uh he was a good um was, you know he was a good listener. And and whilst he had no experience of the private sector, you know, he always he was a really good mentor for me, you know, uh always offering sound advice and um uh my mother uh supported my father she, she was of that generation, you know, where her life was just to support my dad in public office, you know. Um so, but, you know, he, he, um, uh, he was very instrumental in, um, me starting in practice. Um, I, I'd been with building design partnership for a couple of years and, um,
0: So is that where you did your kind of part threes? In? Yes.
1: For two years. Yeah. And, um, and then he, he was very friendly with the chief executive of the greater Nottingham Cooperative Society. And, um, they, had a, uh, uh, they were going through uh, rationalising their land ownership and there was a, a huge piece of land in a place called Toton in Nottingham. And um, I remember uh, getting a phone call from that chief executive um, saying, um, would I go and see him? So I took a day off from practice from BDP and I went to see him in his offices in Nottingham. And, uh, and he said, you know, would you like to do the project? And uh and and, he said, and I said, Well, I, I'm not sure whether building design partnership would be into He said, said, no, would you like to do the project? Um and on the back of that, um, uh, I approached uh, a colleague who had been in final year with me, mm-hmm. uh but was also a BDP. And um we set we, we set up together um you on, on the back of that project, which was which was just really a feasibility. Um and uh, yeah, so uh, so with the drawing boards that we had as students, and uh, I bought a secondhand golf ball typewriter. You probably can't remember what a golf ball typewriter was, but uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah we had a we had a we we uh, had a letterhead uh, designed, and we set up in practice, and uh, was incredibly naive and. Um,
0: so yeah. what what year was that?
1: uh 1983 so i've been in practice 40 years this year
0: right (laughs) why (laughs) me with typewriters i mean it's it's crazy to think back what what we could do without computers and the internet
1: well i you know i was actually thinking lisa about you know about this podcast beforehand and and um really my my life in architecture has seen such a huge change you know from whether it be you know the drawing board to computer design and now building information modeling and even the way in which we procure we procure projects has just changed so much um I, you know I, I i mean i'm sure in in any generation you know people see a shift but i i think the shift in our profession over the last 40 years has been seismic hasn't it you know it uh, yeah
0: absolutely crazy sorry I, my dogs are going a bit ballistic I'm I'm working from home which is where my office is and anytime people go past the front door the dogs just go a bit crazy <laughs> <laughs> um whereas you're you're facing the canal aren't you yeah we um
1: we um uh, we bought we bought this 12 years ago uh we were looking to invest and um um we stumbled across we we were working for um a client who developed these apartments so we have the commercial unit on the ground floor and um it it had planning permission for uh, a bar restaurant but nobody had ever taken it and we we came in as a shell of a space and it fronts onto the bridgewater canal and we just thought what an amazing space so we bought it and um it's been, it's been really good for us, actually. You know, it's a, a wonderful environment. to fine. love coming in. We bought the car park as well because we're, you know, in, just slightly out in Castlefield. Um, so, no, it's been we, – we fitted it out, and uh, it uh, sits in our pension fund, and uh, it's, it's been good for us, really good.
0: Yeah, because um, we've got a boat. so like, the last time we came in through Manchester – How did you
1: come past on that?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, Oh! <laughs> i I might have recorded it i don't know either oh if i can find it i could splice it into this oh that'd be a bit clever that might be a bit too clever for me to splice it into the uh youtube (laughs) yeah virtually yeah so um i mean that was that was going to be one of my questions actually have you got involved in any development projects yourself
1: no, um, um, uh, no, only that, I mean, we, we, uh, we, we, we developed our own house in, you know, in, in South Manchester in Hale, um, we have a place in Grasmere, uh, if you can call that a development, um, um, and this, I, I, I don't have the time, you know, my, my life is absolutely committed to what I do and my teaching. So, um, um um that said i'd like to think that you know i I have a commercial head on my shoulders and when it comes to advising developers i can speak their language um which i think is which i think is important um but no i've never ventured into that um don't have time
0: (laughs) (laughs) or potentially taking on the liability of it as well
1: um yeah um Money and sort of liability in practice can be quite significant at times, can't it, particularly today?
0: (laughs) Um, So how's your office structured at the moment? How many staff have you got? How many offices?
1: We only have this office now. Um, I, uh, after the um, Sterling Prize, I I set up... um, an office in London on the, uh, the back of a, a, a large competition that we won there and um, a- again I mean I, I didn't have the really the business acumen to really think about how that office might work and uh, ultimately I, I closed that office it just simply wasn't working and I, I was putting there was too much pressure on the young architects there um, and I was sort of travelling between Manchester and London, uh, trying to control both offices, which just didn't work. Um, uh, we've always kept the practice quite, you know, in terms of its size, because it's quite modest. There's just 20 or so uh, people here, largely because um, I, I like to be involved in, in every project. Um, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, a lot of my contemporaries, you know, I see them, you know, with very large practices. And I just sometimes wonder how you maintain that quality, you know, and uh, and that sort of consistency. Um, so I I like to touch every project. I'm not, you know, I, um, I'm i involved in varying degrees. You know, some projects I'm, you know, very, very closely involved with others less so. Um, we have uh, the practices owned by myself and Claire, my wife, our uh, husband and wife team. Uh, and then we have three other directors, younger directors, who you know will hopefully take the practice on when I choose to. Uh, um, if I ever do retire, I can't ever imagine that happening. <laughs> um, uh, and then, and then the teams are made up from you know, depending on the scale of the project, um, you know, the teams are then made up from a mix of of senior architects and all always. Um, the, the age profile of the practice is quite young. You know, I, I, I enjoy working with, you know, so I get um, particularly final year students joining the practice, you know, mm-hmm. they bring huge energy to the practice and I love working with them. And they, so, I, you know, we have a sort of core of, of people that are you know, are, are, are been with me for a long time. And then we have the sort of fluffy bits around the edge of people who come and go and young architects who continue their education uh, with the practice when they leave school of architecture. So something like um St. Michael's for example, we will have nine architects working on it. Um I was very much involved at, at the outset. Um Claire, um I mean Claire's very much a, a working architect, but she's she's very good at delivery and she she runs the business as well. Um so and then uh, we have Two because the, the building split into two phases we have a an associate director uh leading on each phase mm. with then a, a sort of mix of architects and uh, architectural assistants in support very simple structure
0: mm. Mm. so and what about office support staff do you have practice managers or
1: we, we just have uh, we have we have one um we, we used to have two um uh, um, and and that's been very much dependent on the size of practice but we just have one um office manager who also happens to be my executive assistant as well and uh, and that's that's all that we have you know it's quite quite lean in that regard
0: mm-hmm. I thought oh, it's always interesting to see how people set up their their businesses um so, just looking back, what's been the biggest challenge for you? Um, let me say recently. What's your biggest challenge recently?
1: <laughs> um, well, I, I think as a practice, it's all about constant change, isn't it? You know, uh, and and you know, yes, you can look back over the. history of the practice where you can look at most recently and you know most recently you know we've we've all had to deal with pandemic with the pandemic working remotely which i found really quite challenging because because i like i'm so hands-on you know um trying to have design reviews and workshops via screen was just I found it so difficult, you know. I'm somebody who likes to sit down at a table with my with my pencil and, and mm-hmm. sketch, you know. So that that was that, that was a big challenge for us. Um uh, and frankly, on August and sorry, April the 12th, wasn't it, when we were allowed to, after the third lockdown, we were allowed to resume. I mean, everybody rushed back here. Um, the studio culture is hugely important to me. Um so that was probably um and I think also uh, probably again brought on by the pandemic is managing the economic cycles. You know, in practice, uh, I find that really quite challenging. I mean, I've I've sort of worked through four recessions, mm. and, and I've, it's one of the most frustrating things. You know, when you you're building a team and suddenly work stop stops. And you, and sometimes, and then you have to lose part of the team.
0: How, uh, how do you manage that? Do you do you kind of work across different sectors to to maintain projects?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, in theory, yes, uh, but again, you know, well, I, I I find that another frustrating part of practice, if I was being frank, mm. um, because you know you were talking about tall buildings earlier, it, it becomes very easy to. Uh, for, for practices to be pigeonholed. So, you know, we, as a practice, our workload has tended to vary depending on how active particular sectors are. So, obviously, city centre residential. Suddenly, we were doing, you know, nationally, huge amounts of inner city residential built around. Mm. Um, prior to that, um, you know, we became known for doing commercial development and we've delivered a number of commercial before that, leisure uh, leisure centres, you know, sports facilities. When I started out in practice, um, because we started out in uh, in Lytham, you know, Lytham St. Anne's, um, we became known for doing restoration on seaside piers, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, um, so I'm uh, trying to break into new sectors. I find really, really challenging, you know. Mm. Uh, I... I you know there are sectors that I know that we could have made a good contribution. So the swimming, the first, the first major project that we I think became known for
0: was a was... swimming pool in Colne, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: absolutely, yeah, yeah. And and we'd never designed a swimming pool before. Suddenly, you know, um we were we were designing swimming pools in Grangeover Sands and the West Midlands and in London and um Today, and and it was an anonymous competition as well, Um, today, uh, I'm not sure that a young practice would be selected for something like that, you know, because inevitably, when you're filling out, um, you know, a, a pqq is well how many swimming pools have you delivered in the last three years you know and, it, and it's very difficult to break into new sectors i find you know we would we would
0: definitely when i set up it was one of the issues that i had was breaking into new sectors yeah yeah we, i would mean, spend you know all, all your all your resources trying to do competitions and get on frameworks and all, all the rest of it and uh, yeah it, it put me right off <laughs>
1: Well, we, I must say our our practice, uh, I mean, we've leapt forward when we, when we, I can, I can pinpoint moments in the development of the practice when we've won a competition. Uh, So, you know, St. Catharines College, Oxford, you know, that was a competition. Would we have been able to, would would we be able to now to break into, you know, the, the world of the Oxford colleges? It, you know, I I, I doubt it. Um, but it was a competition that we won. Um, the National Wildflower Centre was a competition that we won again. A visitor centre, most recently, um, uh, the Welcome Building at RHS Garden Bridgewater. Um, again, that was a competition that we won. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm I'm a supporter of the competition system, system because that's that's always seen as. In terms of architecture, seen as develop, but it's also enabled us to move into new sectors. Because of, I mean, we don't, we, you know, we we don't sit on any framework, so I don't think we would ever get any schools. I would love to design a school, but we wouldn't, you know, I, I don't think we'd be given that opportunity now. Um, would, you, would
0: you ever work overseas, or do you work overseas?
1: Um, we don't. We did briefly. Um, um, I had a client who um um had um some land Holdings in Pakistan and we we worked over there for a while um but um no we've never we've never broken into an international market um, um I mean when you know when we when we, if you cast your mind back when we did the cube Gallery on Portland Street you know I thought that, that might open up um an Avenue in in um, you know the design of cultural projects, but it didn't. Um, you know, uh, what
0: happened to the cube gallery on Portland Street? I know, I know, such a shame that was the RIBA base for a while.
1: Well, it was funded by the I mean, it was funded by the Arts Council. And once the funding was withdrawn, it just didn't have become sustainable. But I mean, as a venue for you know the debate and exchange, of, I mean, the, the intention always was to. You know to try and um, engage with the public you know in the importance of architecture and it did that for a while didn't it with some wonderful exhibitions mm.
0: uh,
1: graham russell you know spearheading that was tremendous and we had our office on the top floor um so it was it was wonderful to be able to take would-be clients downstairs and show them you know what we what we do quite apart from it being obviously a former grade two listed um, uh, cotton warehouse. So in terms of any heritage work, you know, again, we could use that as a, uh, you know, as an exemplar of what we did, but uh, of what we could do, but uh, yeah, no more.
0: Yeah, definitely a loss to Manchester. Um, So what would you say is the, uh, what you're most proud of in, in your career so far? So far, she says, <laughs> what's left? <laughs>
1: um, apart from sustaining a practice for 40 years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Would you say that that's that's the proudest moment? Um,
1: yeah, um, but, but, well, by way of architecture, um, it, there's so many moments, aren't there? You know, uh, you mentioned Cone Swimming Pool. Winning the first Sterling Prize for the Centenary Building at you know Saltford University, my work at um, St Catherine's College, and engaging with the work you know of the great Danish architect Arne Jacobsen and the the, the Jacobsen Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, but most recently, the uh, the RHS project has just been the most wonderful project to work on. Um, um, I mean, against it, it, it the background of larger and larger and larger projects. Um, for me, it was sort of reacquainting ourselves with everything that we do as, as a practice of crafting a building, an incredibly visionary client, um, wonderful contractor, BAM. I can't speak highly enough of them. So it was a true collaborative effort. Um, and... and um, and I, and I think a client that in terms of um pushing the carbon agenda as well um it really um it, it really got us thinking a great deal and uh, probably the most sustainable building that we've delivered as a practice um so that that's um, and and remarkably 17 awards and it's just incredible it's incredible um, um and the feedback that we've had and and for the people who use the building as well in Salford you know I mean in the first year they were predicting that it would probably have a hundred thousand visitors there were a million visitors passed through that door in the first year you know so in terms of public benefits um not just the building the gardens as well um it's been a it's been a wonderful wonderful project to work on
0: amazing well thanks for sharing that um So, uh, last question would be, what advice would you give to um, someone, an architect setting out in practice?
1: Oh, that's a really good one. (laughs) (laughs) Because in a way, you know, I set up in practice with my first uh, business partner. Um, You know, it it was, as I said earlier, really with great naivety, not really understand schools of architecture don't really prepare you for for practice um and the whole aspect of 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 business um but probably this may sound contradictory because in a way um you know i've I've been so lucky with some of the um some of the breaks we've had in practice um and, and I am by nature an ambitious person, but I would probably just advise a young architect to just take your time, you know. Um think long and hard about um what sort of practice you want. Um, um and I mean I, I you know I when I when I look back and um, I mean, yes, we were propelled to set up the uh, London office because of the competition that we won there. But really, we weren't ready for that, you know. Uh, and I certainly didn't have the skill set uh, to understand the implications of that. And probably, well, most definitely now, I would do things a lot a lot differently, you know. Um, so that's probably, the, the you know, the, the best advice I would give is just um you know i was i was to me i, I just wanted to go into practice um my ambition is insatiable and i would just say to people so just slow down you know the professional life is a long one um and you know sometimes yes sometimes you've got to make those mistakes you know to as part of the learning process but equally i think in the you know there are there, when i reflect there are probably some mistakes that we've made as a practice that could have been avoided had I taken my time thought a little bit more about it um thought it a little bit more about the of practice uh to me it was all about architecture I and mean, you know I was very very blinkered um it's it's probably um uh, and I, I I some of those early projects you know yes we'd win awards for um but commercially, they were disastrous. You know, we would lose money. Um, and in fact, it's really since I started practicing with Claire in um, in two thousand and four, uh, when I first, um, when Oliver was born. Our first, our first. Uh, he's nineteen now, so he's, I can't see he's a boy. Um, she transformed the practice. Um, made you know, in terms of, I don't think we've lost direction. Well, we haven't lost direction but she's made the practice work commercially um, and, um, and brought a real stability and, um, and a, a much more structured way to the way in which you go about practice. Um, and so I think that's, that's the sort of advice that I would give, you know, take your time, think about your business model, um, but always recognize the importance of, uh, of what we do as architects. You know, I always say that, second best is not good enough in architecture because it impacts on everybody. Um, you know, the way we live, the way we work, we walk amongst it and uh, it's, it's been my passion. Um, so never, never lose sight of that.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for coming on my little podcast. It's been an honour to have you.
1: <laughs> hardly, hardly. Thanks for inviting me. It's just nice to have a chat with you.
0: <laughs> and on that note i'm going to uh stop so if uh, anyone listening um wants to um have a look at stephen's work um i'll put the links in the in the website um sorry on the description and it's not very hard to find you on the internet <laughs> um so thanks stephen for coming along
1: pleasure thanks lisa